Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Hope everyone had a nice, long, happy Easter weekend. Spencer Israel here, Joel Elkanen, Dennis Dick. Welcome to Pre-Market Prep. We got a lot of headlines today. Maybe it's because we had the long weekend. We had the jobs number on Friday. Also, Tesla snuck in those Q1 deliveries on us while the market was closed. They didn't think we noticed, but we did. No, they they knew we noticed. Uh, Tesla, Q1 deliveries. GameStop doing an offering. Facebook had another data breach, so a lot of headlines to talk about on today's show. Two guests on our docket, Tim Quast, who's the founder and CEO of Modern IR and Market Structure Edge, will join us at 8.35. And then Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors will preview the week in IPOs for us at 9 o'clock. Today's show is also sponsored by Market Structure Edge. It is the first decision support platform for traders built on Market Structure. Try the new way to trade for free at marketstructureedge.com. The link is up on the screen there. Smash that like button, hit subscribe, show us some love on whatever platform you are watching us on. We appreciate that. Let's throw it to Joel now, and Joel will update us on how we are doing in the overnight trading session. Joel, good morning. Uh, Good morning, Spencer. Happy Monday. Uh, We're trading up. Some people may think in your platform may tell you we're trading up five handles, but that's not the case. We actually closed at 40, 401010. So we're up 22 and a quarter handles. I can't believe these platforms can't figure that out from Thursday's close. Uh, the high is not 4034, the high is 4038. We hit that just after the jobs number. And this, the- Joel, I want to interrupt you. This is why Spy, once again. <laughs> This is why SPY is better than the futures, because SPY incorporates all of that. It doesn't worry that we had two days of trading the futures and SPY at zero. We've got it right there. I mean, you can't trade it. Obviously. Yeah, what know. good is if you can't trade it? Who wants to be trading on the sun, on, on East? You can't be trading on Good Friday. It's you got to take a rest sometime it's, here. It's sacrilegious. Yes, exactly. I think I think that's in the New Testament, actually. I come in this morning, and I see my SPY up 0.56%. I know exactly what the market's up. I don't have to do funky math on the futures to try to figure out what the market's up. I know it's up half a percent. So this is why SPY, once again, trumps the S&P futures. Now you can continue, Joel. <laughs> starting. You're starting already on Monday. And I'm glad. You know why? Because this is like this week, I'll put up with you this week, and then I don't have to put up with you for an entire week. And I'm looking forward to that. I don't have to hear you ramble on. I'll probably hear it in my ear. Anyways, back to the market. What do you mean you don't have to hear me for an entire week? Are you going on vacation? I am going on vacation. Is that allowed? You're in, uh, we're, in, we're in lockdown in Ontario. We can't yeah. go anywhere in Ontario. We're in full lockdown here. We're like worse than we've ever been more cases than we've ever had because they decided we didn't need vaccinations in canada we're in full lockdown we started it started uh, yesterday lockdown don't go anywhere essential services only you guys yeah. are laughing over there at us now well it's funny because the, the tables have turned you know, oh, yeah. 
because uh, y'all were laughing at us, but now we're the ones that got the most vaccines. So. Yeah. Well, we have 13 percent of the population. What you're 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 like running like over 40, aren't you, or something crazy? Yeah. It's yeah. High. Turntables. The turntables. Have you got vaccinated yet, Spencer? I did. Holy! Everybody's vaccinated except me. That's why I can't leave my bubble. <laughs> I'm like just stuck right here. All I can do is talk to you guys, and that's all I have. Sorry, man. Tear in my eye. Okay, <laughs> I've interrupted multiple Back times. Back to the markets. Spencer. Whining, crude, whining crude, again. Yeah, crude's down a buck sixty-three. A little clamoring by OPEC at fifty-nine eighty-two. Gold's in the red. That's in the red by four seventy at seventeen twenty-three seventy. And silver back under twenty-five. That's down four point three cents at twenty-four ninety-one. And Bitcoin didn't. I didn't look at the price action over the weekend, but I. Bitcoin traders got to be a little disappointed they didn't push this puppy to like 65,000 with the less liquidity yeah. over the weekend. Yeah. But uh, it must be Ethereum because you could do NFTs through Ethereum. So I'm maybe. starting to get concerned that I got the wrong one. I'm long the Bitcoin. I'm all I've said it last week. I think I got to trade in my Bitcoin for Ethereum. You do something with the Ethereum, it's got a fun, it, it's 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 got a purpose. NFTs, they're not going away. They're not going to go away. I, I kind of like the NFT thing. I've kind of turned a little bit here. I don't like paying $67 million, but I kind of get it. So I don't know, man. I think we should trade in our Bitcoins for... Uh, do you, you still have your Bitcoin, Joel? No, you, you sold just, yours. Yeah, I sold it. I sold it. Spencer, do you have Bitcoin? Yeah, and I wouldn't look at it as trading one for the other. What I'm going to do is just diversify. So I'll probably just buy some Ethereum and keep. Well, how are you going to buy Ethereum? Because how should I buy Ethereum? I gave the, the chat I, back. I, when, I, what I, should I, we do? Ethereum I, ETF in Canada? No. Oh, you have that, don't you? Think? I think we do. Find no, no, out. No, no, I know no, it. No, I bought no, the Bitcoin ETFs. Do we have Ethereum we, ETFs in no, Canada? No, you Anybody don't. know? Anybody know in the chat? Is I there know. Ethereum? I know. I know. We do? No, there isn't. I know that there isn't. There is not. No. Well, I want an Ethereum ETF. In Canada, um, be cool. wait a few months, but I, I probably didn't buy it in the most efficient way. I just use Coinbase, which, which charges a uh, higher higher fees. Um, so if anyone has a better idea, let, let us know. But there's QETH. They're telling me in Canada there and is there's ETHE. So there is some. I don't know if those are pure ETFs. I know the QETH oh. probably is the structured product that you know was yeah. before the Bitcoin ETF. So it's an actual ETF because ETFs track so much better because obviously we know how they work um, as opposed to these, these closed-end funds that hold Bitcoin. They don't because they don't have all the market maker action in them. Um, I don't know, man. I kind of want to own Ethereum. I'm, I, and you know what? I have turned. Somebody said in the chat, I've turned towards NFTs. I'm kind of on the NFT bandwagon now. It's It's, I don't know. I just kind of warmed up to it all of a sudden i've warmed up to it so anyways we'll talk more crypto we got to talk stocks though yes yes that's why people pay us the big money uh huh. let's uh well let's just go back uh the jobs number i know you couldn't trade the spider during it but uh go ahead spence I mean, uh, yeah it, it was a good number that's basically all you need to know is it was a really really good number uh this is from friday morning of course normally we'd be we'd be watching it be able to trade it but that wasn't the case actually i don't even i i had them up and then i took it off my screen so i apologize uh, i have to go back and find it real fast there we go uh non-farm payrolls for the month of march for those who cares a big beat Nine hundred and sixteen thousand jobs added 
last month versus a 639,000 estimate and the prior reading of 379,000. So basically three times, not quite, but almost three times uh, the, the reading from February. Unemployment ticked down from 6.2% to 6%. It was just a big beat on the jobs front. And then uh, in the same vein, Tesla also reported a big beat for their March deliveries. I'm going to read those simultaneously because this they snuck this in on us Friday morning. Didn't see it coming, but there was it was, scheduled. I I did, didn't see it on I the didn't schedule. See it scheduled. I just I happened to notice it Friday morning when it was out. Um, anyway, uh, Tesla reported Q1 production of a hundred, just a little over 180,000 cars uh, last quarter. Delivery uh, deliveries of 184,000 cars, both of which came in well above estimates that 184,000 number was compared to 168,000 estimate from analysts. So a beat for Tesla on the production and delivery front, especially good considering there is a global shortage of semiconductors and they had to shut down their factory for a little bit. So, so that's not good. it was good numbers, it was objectively good numbers for Tesla and, I, the jobs number and the economy. I I saw those numbers and then I'm like, do I own Tesla in my on my overnight portfolio? I did not even know I had to go check because I traded over a hundred stocks on Friday or Thursday night, and uh, luckily enough, I was not short Tesla. I actually was long Tesla, so it was a, it was for an S and P hedge because I try to you know we know I do a little bit of S and P arbitrage. Obviously, Tesla's a big chunk of the S and P now, so I actively traded pretty much every night. So I was happy to be long Tesla, um, despite not really liking it. <laughs> Anyways, I know people would be mind blown by that, but it's just an, it, that's the way when you do an arbitrage, you try to mimic the index there, and you'll have a little bit of Tesla if you got some spy short on, because it's obviously what is it six percent I think of spy now, Tesla. Yeah. Oh, it's no, a no, good no. chunk. That's not that. It's not that high because it's, it's a bet. That's a ballpark. Maybe not six percent. Let's go look. That's oh, I can tell you, it's probably it's probably like. Right around it's 10%. a top 10 component, is it not? It's a top 10 component, but Apple's the top one, and that's five and change. Okay. So cool. I, I think it's probably like 2.2 or 1.9, something like that, just doing the calculations I, off the I, top I, of my head. The, uh, about one and a half. One and a half. Yeah, okay, so it's not as much as you think. One and a half, you're right. It's one and a half. Good one, Spencer. Thank you. So, Good anyways, one. Little, small, I don't want to short it. You give it credit to Spencer, and you're at 6%. You should know Apple is like the biggest one, and that's not even – that's not even 5%. I'm a little disappointed in you on this. What I'm disappointed in is I put an order out at 2999 uh overnight to get out of my Tesla. And I did not get done at 2999 I thought that – isn't that the target on this? Not quite yet. Might now, get there eventually. But we talked about – So I've sold my Tesla already. So I can great really move. talk about oh, it. Oh, this is Had such it overnight. Easy. People are mad because they said, oh, you're bearish Tesla. I trade everything. So Tesla has never touched my long-term portfolio. It's still not going in there. But I trade – I am long or short Tesla almost every single night. Almost every single night just based on a lot of different factors. A yeah. lot of that is just ETF arbitrage. So it's a piece. It's 1.5% if you're mimicking the index. You're probably if I'm long spy, I'm probably short Tesla. If I'm if I'm short spy, I'm probably long Tesla. So it's just the way you know I'm trying to mimic the index, you know, doing ETF arbitrage. So um, it's not like I've got a huge position and ten percent of my portfolio was in Tesla. It would have been a fraction of one percent. So it was very small. But you know, it's better when your stock goes up seven percent. You'd rather be long it than short it. So it helps the day to a certain extent. But I'm already out. Can I make a suggestion to the chat? 
Sure. Instead of trying to uh, figure out. I shouldn't out, answer that. Yes. The chat should answer that. Instead of trying to figure out what Dennis does wrong all the time and like these trades that he has, you try and figure out what he's doing right because he's doing a lot more right than he's doing wrong. And so like these little, I mean, these little people in here, they're like, oh, you know, Dennis said this on uh, September 6th. And, you know, I mean, you do, you say a lot of things that, you know, it might be a little bit off, but it's like, oh, Dennis just bears this or this or that. And unless you listen to every show, you're going to take a note on everything. Then, you know, it's just like trying to figure out what he's doing right instead of doing wrong. I mean, we talked about this one last night and it's just all about 720. I mean, you can't tell me any other number matters in Tesla besides 720. It couldn't get there last night. Uh, it did get to 716 at 70. You got these highs here at 720. You know, it was the initial high of the rebound. So until uh, that's major resistance. Once you get through that, then you can get back and work your way to 750, 800. But man, that's a just a huge level, 720. And I'm a little surprised. Like immediately when I saw that news on the weekend, I'm like, oh, it's going to 720. And it didn't. I was wrong. It went to seven sixteen seventy. What's wrong is four points off. Yeah, it's it's a huge area. Where's the fifty percent retracement of the uh, move? That's always uh, fun to talk about. That's seven twenty four. Oh, oh, so you're right there. So you haven't even had the fifty percent retracement of the yeah. move. What we're talking about is the full move. We obviously the were up one. at nine hundred. Yep, nine hundred right. all the way down to five thirty nine. So now we're retracing, and we often see these fib fifty percent retracements coming to uh, come into play at resistance points. So that's what Joel's pointing out. That seven twenty coincides with the fifty percent. It means you're probably going to find some resistance resistance there. So if you're coming in and buying it this morning up seven percent, you're not only chasing it, you're buying it into resistance. Could it continue to go up? It could continue sure. to do anything it wants, but. I, I, obviously, as traders, you're just placing, you're you're playing the odds, and usually when stocks bump into the resistance point, the fifty percent, pretty much it's it's been up here a couple times, but and it was good numbers. We'll just say it's a very important day for Tesla. It needs to hold above seven hundred, holds above seven hundred, get a close above seven hundred. Maybe you start, you know, doing some damage. I mean, the Qs have bounced back nicely from the lows. We've saw some growth bounce back nicely from the lows. Buy the dip wins again. Yes, I was bearish early last week. Yes, I was definitely wrong to be bearish early last week. I thought we could start continuing to roll over. We have not buy the dip wins again. So um, I, I don't, I think, I think on pullbacks, you're going to see obviously now people buying the dip again. Hard to be bearish the spy when you're making all-time highs. I'm not still a fan of some of this high PE stuff, though, and Tesla falls in that category. So I'm skeptical of the rally to a certain extent, but maybe it continues. Uh, also, when you're looking at this, you also like to see if there's highs, you know, highs in that area. And there was, there was a 723.14 high. Uh, this was off the initial rebound. And also the 50% also helped you. Let's say you missed that move to 540. I went to 723 and you're like, I got to get back in this. I want to get back in Tesla. I missed the low. Well, you came down to 632. You actually took some heat on that. It actually went to 600. But when you're talking about a you know a, you know eight seven eight nine hundred dollars stock, I mean twenty thirty points on a swing trade wouldn't be you know out of the realm of possibility. Also, when it came back up through that area, if you just would have had a little six thirty two buy stop in there, then you would have got you know you would have had a gap up day on Wednesday, but you still would have been long the stock. So there's a way that you use the fifty percent both ways on 
Tesla? Tesla is 4% of the Q, so it's a bigger chunk okay. of the Qs, and I just realized why I had Tesla. When you go back four days, you're trying to think, what was I doing? And I had a huge Q short position, so I needed some long. Obviously, I'm long Apple. You know, I need to be long some of the others when you're short the Qs. I probably was short the Qs because we had that wicked rally. I'm, I'm starting to remember back to Thursday now. You had that, a pretty wicked rally there. So if you're short the Qs, you want to be long some other hedges against it. Tesla's a good hedge when it's 4% of the index. So now I'm remembering why I was long Tesla is because I was short the Qs. Fair enough. We forgive you. I don't know. I, well, I, was six, I had this 6% number in my head, though. It's only 4%. So I was wrong on that, too. So wrong on both fronts here. Wrong index, but that's okay. As long as you got the hedge right. Well, I was short SPY, too. Yeah. <laughs> I was short SPY. I'm short Qs. I was short IWM. I was short. <laughs> I was short all the index longs, all the stocks. If that makes any sense at all, people are like, why do you do that? Must have been an inefficiency from Thursday night. I can't remember. It was too long ago. A long time ago. Long, long time ago. I can still remember. Okay, what's right. the next one? Do we give the Before people? Singing? Do we give the people what they want? GameStop. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's give them what they want. They want GameStop. No, I'm not long GameStop or short GameStop. GameStop. There's very, I very rarely trade GameStop. Why? Because it's not in the S&P, it's not in the Qs. If it is in the XRT, and that, that obviously rebalanced. Yeah, it can move it, but the it not as much because it's rebalanced to a certain extent, so you don't see the movement that you did before. Um, where you know we see, oh, why is XRT not tanking? Because they did rebalance it there at the end of the quarter, so it's not as big of a chunk now. But holy mackerel, we got an offering here. What they're giving the market what the market wanted. Kramer's yeah. been asking for it. Everybody's been asking for it. And they're knocking it down. Spencer, what's up? Yeah, finally, three and a half million shares. Uh, and at the money offering, which just means that they could do it over time, uh, meaning they could offer the shares over time or sell them over time. But mm. three and a half million shares, we obviously don't know a price yet. They're going to do it for, you know, they were as vague as the all these filings are. They're going to use it for general corporate purposes they're going to transform the balance sheet transform the company into an e-commerce business blah 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 blah. all you need to know three and a half million new shares coming potentially coming into the market that's it hmm. triple d how you don't know why you want to talk GameStop? i mean this is just the random walk theory all over this stock if you don't know what the random walk theory it's just exactly what it says the stocks walk randomly and you cannot predict the move minute to minute day to day week to week this is a random walk stock there really is no way to really predict where gamestop is going we've had some setups and yes we've had some good calls you know where okay it's not going down i would say where we are right now it's more random walk yes it's down because of the offering but interesting enough if you do the math on this and not yeah that it, it's game, not it's not big it's not it's huge. not like the amc proposed offering which was going to dilute the float by a hundred percent i mean this this is literally just uh or, or by 50 percent. this is literally just uh three and a half million on how many shares outstanding i looked this morning I think it's like 70 is that yeah right? so you're talking a five percent dilution only so proposed five yeah. percent dilution so they're hitting much. the stock down 13 so in this case <laughs> the arabs are actually overshooting i think they have fears of the viacom situation probably maybe going through their head where obviously we know viacom had a small dilutive offering and then we saw it completely implode so all of a sudden the market which wasn't even spooked on offerings two months ago is now very spooked when you get an offering and in this case, a GameStop, 
um, down 13%. This is significant, um, significantly more than what the dilution should say it should be down. The way, reason, way we calculate that is three and a half million over the outstanding shares to come up with a roughly 5% figure saying, okay, well, if they're diluting by a proposed 5%, shouldn't the stock just go down 5%? Well, it's down 14. So, but again, this is GameStop, random walk. Well, can do whatever I, it wants. It's a little, it's a little more if you go by the float, right? Which is obviously a smaller number. Okay. Where it floats like 45 million shares. So it's a little more if you go by. And remember, float is just all the shares available to trade in the market. Yeah. Shares is all uh, outstanding is all the shares that exist, right? Yeah. Uh, so shares that, that, that are restricted or, or whatever. But um, so it's, it's a little more if you go by, go against the float figure. That being said, though, it is still not what I would call a huge offering. It's not nothing, but it's not huge by any means. So, so that, again, random walk theory. I have no idea where the stock is going. I would say it's 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 oversold right now compared to where the arbitrage would say. So that would make me so inclined to buy it. But because it's GameStop, I'm not buying it. <laughs> it, it can go anywhere it wants. It's completely random. I think I'll uh, retire from doing levels on GameStop. It's it's a tough stock. Yeah, especially um, in hindsight. You know, I, I was reading the New York Times did some really good reporting about the. Uh, the Ar- Ar- Artegos, Archegos, whatever, you, however that's pronounced, um, that blew up. With, with it was the a lot of money. Yeah, but anyway, uh, they they uh, they had this nugget in there that this guy through 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 swaps ended up controlling like ten percent of Viacom. Like he was the largest shareholder. Yeah, and, and we and we only found out because you know he got wow. to over his skis and, and got a margin call. But like. It just goes to show we have no idea what is really happening out there, right? Like, 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 like Viacom tripled in a couple of months because one dude decided to buy like a lot of swaps and control ten percent of the. Just company. push the price, push yeah. the price, push, push the price. price, exactly. And it's- then the push stops, and then he gets caught, and then he gets margin called, and he's being forced sell. You know, they said Goldman, you know, is selling the stock. Morgan selling the stock, going in because they have to. You get margin calls. They don't want. They're on the business to lose money, so they're going in and hammering the stock. Get him out. Get him out. He's too big. And then you see what happened. So the complete collapse on it. I mean, you know, you know what? No one's talking about what? Okay, so oh, this guy lost this, lost. You know how much? How much was he up? I know. I mean, Why did he not like I, ring I the know, register? Like, of that? Yeah, I wish he just would have like given me a call. I mean, when that when that eighty five uh, profit. I mean, come on, man. I mean, I, I'm sure the liquid, uh, the options markets aren't that liquid, but man, just put some offers out there, dude. He See just thought he could keep driving it. You must have just okay. thought I can keep driving uh, like, the price. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what, what kind of benchmark he's chasing there, but uh, or what? Well, kind there of- was long-term Viacom bulls that were very bullish at thirty dollars a share, yeah. and they were on CNBC. I remember when the thing was ninety and saying, "No, we've lightened up because this is just ridiculous." You know, it just got into a point of ridiculousness. When your stock, this is a good you know thing for a buck. When your stock price just gets to ridiculousness. Yep. It's time to the register. And I mean, everybody will point out Tesla because it kept going. Oh, but Tesla. A lot of stocks yeah. get ridiculous. You know, it, it, it can't go wrong. Like when your stock price just gets way overdone and way overshoots. I mean, same thing with Rocket. You know, when it went from 20 to 40 in a day, two days, it's time to lock it in. I mean, it's time to like, okay, let's get out. 
and we'll get back in eventually. Is Rock if Rocket continues to rocket up to fifty, sixty, eighty dollars a share, so be it. There's always another train going. But when your stock doubles in a day, take the profits. That's what I would do. Take the profits. Yep. Yep. So anyway, just go. So you you really don't know who is on the other side. Uh, GameStop, everything's random, but GameStop is as random as they come. Random walkthrough. You know, there's just no way. There's just no way to know with this thing. So like, you you, you don't know if like Reddit's going to inter- interpret that as good news and drive it up. You just don't know. You just don't know. So. And people are saying, well, Rocket's going to continue higher. But look, if you would have sold your Rocket at thirty-five or forty dollars, you can rebuy it right now at twenty-two. I'm out. I'm going to rebuy it. I'm probably going to rebuy it. So, I mean, there's tradable opportunities here. Maybe everybody's not a trader and they're long-term investors. And, yeah, I think there's value in Rocket down here. So, I kind of like it down here. But, I mean, when it goes from 20 to 40 in a day, that's and, on a short squeeze. And, I, and on that Rocket front, um, there was a big insider sale. I talked about this on Thursday. If you, yep, you well, did cover it. You covered it well. Like 9.05. Um, big insider sale. Dan Gilbert sold. Um what was the number? Uh, 500 million. 500 million uh, worth of shares, which is coincidentally the same amount of money that he pledged to the city of Detroit. So that's a good guy right there. I don't know. Yeah. yeah He's yeah. not selling for a yacht. He's selling to help the D. We love Dan Gilbert. Yeah. So, so you know, nothing really. We, we say all the time there's one reason to buy, a million reasons to sell. And that is one of them. I go. hope uh, I hope Duggan doesn't turn it into two hundred and fifty million. All right, <laughs> let's give him right. the benefit of the doubt. Uh, enough of the doubt. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Go. Let's go to Facebook here. Another data breach disclosed over the weekend. <laughs> this one, I believe, was from Business Insider on the ones that broke the story. Um, you know, no, nothing to no see. Big nothing, nothing no big deal. No big deal. Only five hundred thirty-three million uh, phone numbers. You know, leaked onto the the, the, the dark web, but oh, you know, great. Facebook was now like, I have yeah. to change my phone number. Facebook was like, yeah, this is from a thing from two years ago. We already passed it up. All right. <laughs> How many? I'm glad it's fixed. I hope that they don't have my phone number. The 500 million phone numbers. It's like everyone. No, it's <laughs> that's a lot of people. I guess there's billions of people on Facebook, but that's a lot. Yeah. Dude, this high odds. Your phone number is out there. And the fact that they 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 made a point to say that any quote like low level hacker could find it like it like I'm like, is that me like am I do I qualify as like a low level hacker like they they made a point I didn't to, know you were into hacking well Mr. They, they made a point of saying you don't really need advanced hacking skills to access the, this data which I don't have any of I have no hacking skills so maybe maybe like why we, would they admit that. Well, no, it wasn't Facebook that admitted that. It was, it was, it was the report. But um, yeah, I mean, it was available for free. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, Facebook said they patched it up, but I, you know, it just sort of gets to the point of how many of these leaks have there been over the years that we don't know about. I don't know. Uh, cover Barons as well. Uh, Barons yeah. now calling it a value oh, stock because of yeah. WhatsApp. What else do they have? Let's WhatsApp. take us back to like a Instagram. decade ago. When Barron's called the stock a $15 stock and they put the thumbs down on the cover, that was the bottom for Facebook. So now that they're putting it on the cover, is this potentially the top? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know, man. I don't follow Barron's on Facebook. Barron's is pretty good, but when they make Facebook calls, I'm a little bit scared. Big level. 304, the high, back from the summer. On Friday, 302. We're down a little bit here because of the hack. 
Obviously, if it didn't have the hack, it'd probably be challenging that 302, 304 level, though. That's the line in the sand. That's the line it gets it needs to get through. There is value here, so I do agree to that extent. I mean, the PE is reasonable, um, and the growth is not bad. So this is a definition of GARP, growth at a reasonable price. We know growth at a reasonable price is back in favor. I'd be a buyer of the pullback, but not 298. I'd like it better at 280. It's a, this one's had a big run, uh, held up extremely well when the other growth tech was getting, you know, getting beat a little bit. So it's had a big move. I, I don't know if I could turn around and just get bullish here, maybe get some kind of pullback. But uh, the way this market's been acting, you know, you had your pullback. Look at all those time. Look at all those days, the opportunity they gave you down at 255, 256. So I don't know. Maybe you'll get institutions reloading up there. Maybe if you get that same kind of formation on the upside, rolls over a little bit. But man, oh man, hard to hard to get a starter position here at uh, two ninety eight thirty two. Let's go to some more movers for the morning here. Uh, Acadia Pharmaceuticals ACAD down about twenty percent. They received a complete response letter from the FDA regarding their oh. hallucinations uh, and delusions associated with dementia. So the yeah. FDA the FDA just saying the drug is not ready right now for approval. Wow. We know we never liked that letter. Um, when you see that one, it's an automatic sell usually. What happened back in March? The stock got halved, and now it's getting hammered again. What was the, was oh, there nice something? Similar news, I bet. Yeah, is it the, well, like, hammering the, to, on the same news twice? Out. I'm trying to find out if it was the same drug, though. Um, yeah, it was the same drug. Uh, the the FDA, let's see what the FDA said that um, that they had identified deficiencies that would preclude the discussion of labeling and post marketing requirements. So basically, saying that we found a problem, and mm. today there it, it is. It is the same headline, just a a more extreme version of the same headline. Hammered, cut in half back early March. Now you get cut in half. In early, well, not a cut in half. You're down 19% in early April. I've tried to buy the dip on good pharmaceutical companies, and I'm going to tell you, it rarely works um, when you think you've got, you know, okay, it's a big dip. Not good ones, I should say, like ones that only have a couple drugs in the pipeline. I mean, I'm long Sarepta. I bought the dip back at 80. I went up to 100. I felt like a hero. I still have it in the portfolio, and now I'm down in it. I feel like a zero. I, I've done this a lot of times in my 20-year investing career where I'm buying pharmaceutical companies when they get bad news. And I'll tell you, if they're, big, if they're big companies like Lilly, Merck, Pfizer, you seem to do okay. Bristol-Myers. When they're smaller companies, I think I lose in the long run on those. I, I don't know. I don't have any quantitative proof of it. I just feel like maybe it's you know a selective perception. But I feel like it's a tough, tough to buy these stocks when they get hammered on the on when they've only got a couple drugs in the pipeline. Uh, it's trying here. It's right at the lows of the session here. So you got the people caught from that forty-five. They thought they had the dip. It got to thirty. Hard to trade it technically. I think you'll find a bottom, may find a bottom in this today at some point. And let's see a monthly low. If you wanted to be a cheapo. You know, maybe throw a bit out there at 16. That's uh, 15.73 was your low uh, back in January 2019. I don't think it's going to get that low because it even looks like there's a little buying interest here in 2050. 
But based on the monthlies, uh, that's what you have for ACAD. But if they don't have a product and they're not selling anything, I don't know how excited you can get about that. I, I do want to uh, point out here, and I just posted it in the uh, in the comments. We have a brand new FDA page on Benzinga. Uh, the, cool. the, the URL is in chat. It's, it's benzinga.com slash calendar slash FDA dash announcements. But it's also in chat, more importantly, easier to find in, in the comments here. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen again. Uh, calendars, news, uh, we're tr- you know, it's a new page. We are trying to make it better. So check it out. Send us feedback. I'll put the link up on nice. the screen as well for you all to see. But again, it's benzinga.com slash calendars slash FDA dash announcements. There it is up on the screen. Check it out. Tell us what you think. Send us feedback. Power at benzinga.com. That being said, let's go back to uh, it's 8.33. Damn, time flies when you're having fun. Wow. It always flies. It flies when you're not having fun. It flies. When you get older, Spencer, and you start getting your 40s, or if you get in your 80s like Joel, I mean, yep. 79. It, t- time flies so fast. It's like, you know, it's a spiral. And, you know, when you're, when you're a little kid and days seem like they're going to last forever, you're waiting for Christmas to come, and it feels like there's no possible way it'll ever come. It's like December 2nd. There's no way I can possibly even get to December 25th. Or you're sitting in school. Oh, there you go. The I was just going to mention the, that one. I'm in grade two and I'm looking at the clock and it's like, it's going backwards. backwards. The clock yeah, is going backwards. Now all I do is fight the clock. And I'm like, all day I'm fighting the clock, fighting the clock, fighting the clock. So I think as you get older, time just goes faster. So, you know, here we think about, you know, I'm in midlife, but I'm really maybe at the end of my life because time just goes so much faster when you get older. So. That's my depressing stat of the day. <laughs> Do you remember uh, the Beat the Clock TV show? <laughs> you are dating yourself something fierce right now, Joel. No, I that was Okay. That Beat was the Clock. One. Yeah. Yep. I remember yep. the Price chat. is Right game with the little clock. Chat will help. You right. know what? Our chat, we have like a closet older chat. We really do. They're, I mean, you think you got these young bucks in here, but like, like the Jetsons. I mean, the Jetsons went over huge. Oh, no, we're not talking the. Wait Jetsons a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, the last episode of Beat the Clock aired in 2019. What? Yeah, they did. Oh, they so did. this is recent. Oh yeah. no, it, I've it, never it, even heard of this. It was, beat like, the it clock. was like a, it was a, a revival. It, it was what? When? What years were Beat the Clock on? 1950. See, Joel, you're so <laughs> dating yourself. This is 70 years ago. <laughs> Beat the clock. How do you remember these things? You were like only five years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. My dad was still in the army then, but uh, uh, beat the clock. Let's find out. If- Monty Hall even did a little bit of uh, hosting on that for a while too. That wasn't like as that. good as uh, let's make a deal. No. But, uh, All right, let's bring on our guest here, Tim Quas, founder and CEO of Market Structure Edge, joins us every other Monday for Market Structure Monday. Tim, good morning. How are we doing? Good morning. Well, that's one of my favorite sounds, Market, market Structure Monday. Where every physical like mm-hmm. you, you've got a new background. Where are you this, this time? This guy's everywhere, man. <laughs> he has so this, many houses, we can't keep track of them. Well, this, this is not my house. Oh. Uh, there's a, it reminds me, however, of a, of a, of a great musician, <clears throat> because I just came from Nashville down here to Austin, and uh, there's this guy called, uh, named Alan Stone. And he uh, did an album called Live from His Mother's Living Room. So I'm, I'm actually coming to you live from my mother-in-law's wow. back deck here in Austin. Nice. It's in Georgetown, Texas, actually. <clears throat> but you can see 
uh, spring has arrived here in Austin. That is Every, beautiful. Everything's a, a, a wash in verdant hues. Wow, that uh, is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. My trees have no leaves, unfortunately, in Georgian Bay. <laughs> no leaves up here, but it looks beautiful down there. I'm jealous. <laughs> well, and to, and to finish your beat the clock theme, talk you about You don't remember that, do you, clock. Tim? I, I do not. So, Joel, <laughs> apologies that I do not recall that. But, uh, but, but a great version of it happened in the Gonzaga game. Talk about beating God. the clock. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. That was unbelievable. I, uh, that was fantastic. <laughs> Where's James Mann, the guy that was uh, – someone in the chat, you know, they asked for symbols, Dennis. They asked on Friday or Thursday, they asked for UCLA. Of course they did. Uh, Does that mean? And I railed that, that guy. Mean. We kicked him out of the chat. <laughs> out of the chat for that we kicked one. him off the That's YouTube. He, we canceled his Benzinga Pro. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, there have to be consequences for stuff like that. You know? <laughs> uh, no question. Tim, Tim, what's on your radar here this morning? Well, there there are two things to me, uh, uh, in addition to Palantir, which I'm surprised Dennis hasn't uh, taken me to task about. Uh, But the two things to me are because the the audience here tends to favor EV, you know, electric vehicles. And uh, uh, it's been tough in that group hasn't it yes (laughs) and and you know when when should it not be tough in that group and it and it leads into the second thing which is now we're in the early you know we i think in market structure terms and uh broad market sentiment the way that we measure it bottomed march 31st and of course april 1st was a good day don't be fooled however uh and uh, and so how do those things dovetail i you know, I'm not sure how interesting that is. It's always interesting to me, uh, but I thought it would be worth talking about that. There, you know, we continue to have this great debate about, uh, you know, whether value stocks are now uh, permanently in the lead. They're not going to be. They're not going to be. Uh, if 50% of the market cap sprinkled across tech, com- uh, communication services, consumer discretionary uh, is tech, tech is going to resume leadership. Interestingly, if you look at the fangs, to me, they're, they're a bit behind. All over the market, the sentiment trends have turned. And, you know, I like to think of these cycles as uh, taking about 10 days. Well, well, what lies 10 days hence? April options expirations. I mm. think that traders today just have to think in those terms. And it's very easy to get caught up in all the rhetoric uh, that surrounds us about uh, stimulus checks and government programs and on it goes and that these things will create a permanent bull market. I don't believe it. I think you have to come back to the things that are fundamental to the market, not fundamental in terms of financial performance for companies, but how the market works today. <clears throat> and to me, that, that, that is what matters. I'll give you a case in point if you want. You can, you can lead me wherever you want to go. My, <clears throat> my inclination is to just go look at, let's go look at, um, you know, Churchill Capital, uh, Lucid Motors, and uh, the big good one to look at CCIV. Yeah, it's been a while since we talked it. Let's talk CCIV. Yeah, I think it, I think it's worth doing, uh, particularly since the uh, the you know if there's some news that maybe the retail sector of the market is is a bit in the doldrums. By the way, if you're listening, you can you can come do this. Just go to marketstructureedge.com. You can sign up for free. There's no credit card required. And you can see the same stuff that I'm seeing here. So 
I have, of course, Benzinga April 5th <laughs> on my screen, but I put Lucid in here uh, because I think it's interesting to look at. It's a one out of 10. And the way that I think of the market is it, everything waxes and wanes from overlove to underlove, to use Nick Shaheen's description for it. Think when when, when uh, there is more demand than things trade above five, and when, when demand wanes, things trade below five. And it's very consistently true. So if you look at Lucid Motors, Churchill Capital here, it's a one out of 10. Uh, short volume below 45%, very attractive. This is the challenge with Churchill. It only trades $3,000 at a time. Uh, so it's tough to get in and out of. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that active money is back in it. It's in the consumer discretionary category. Uh, and sentiment is bottom. So I look at this from purely from a market structure standpoint and say, wow, this is very interesting now. If you want to make money in something, you leave when sentiment is taught and begins to slide, get out there, and then you return when sentiment rises above, uh, begins to tick up and rises back toward 10. The trouble in here is options expired here. And this is where all over the market, this, this Archegos Capital thing occurred. And you could see it right around the 19th that the banks all bet short. And how, why this matters, if the banks lose, we're in trouble. The banks lost in 2008. Here versus Archegos Capital, they've got six prime brokers. And, and I'm talking about the headlines last week, folks, where this hedge fund had a disaster and, you know, its positions in Disney and Viacom had to be sold. We can take a look at those. Uh, but this, to me, presents opportunity. Early in the month, money looks around for, well, what do we want to do? Sentiment is bottom. Short volume's right at trend. These things, that's, that to me is what matters. It's not whether Lucid is delivering on its promises in the short term. It's whether it's an it's attractive from a market structure standpoint. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I kind of you know, don't mind the technicals on this one either. I mean, you have a level now. 2040 was the low back. Me and Joel like the levels where we just look at the chart. And yeah, yeah 2040 sure. back to March the 5th. You challenged that, you know, right, you know, recently. And we've held those levels. So we did not make a new low on the move, which yep. is good news. When you don't make a new low on the move, you're telling me sentiment is bottom. So everybody's yep. kind of, you know, seems to be as bearish as they want to be on this thing. It doesn't mean it can't get worse, but right. yeah, at least have an out. I think, you know, if you're buying it right. here, you stop yourself up below 20 and you right. say, hey, maybe it's just a turnaround. You know, maybe you could have a little, you know, a, right. a little turnaround in the stock race. So. You know, somebody that I think everybody forgets about that is in this group uh, and that no one ever talks about it, and yet it really delivers returns, is Eaton. You know, Eaton Cut is uh, it, it, it's, it's loosely in this EV group, I'll grant you, uh, but talk about a great stock to trade. You know, when it's, at a, when it's above five, see this, this is a scale, it's a 10 just banging against the ceiling, ticks down, that's where you leave. And when it takes back over five, which it just did, that tends to be a great time to own it. It consistently produces good returns when it rises above five, and nobody talks about it. It's actually an excellent company. It's very strong. It's got great liquidity, $11,000 per trade. Short volume's very low. The trend is up. Even though it's a six now, Remember, stuff you get your returns above five. That's something I think people aren't thinking about. So I would I would point you know, we're talking about EV. Sometimes you go where people aren't, and you get your better uh, returns there. That's been working too, and you know, two point one eight percent dividend, reasonable price earnings ratio here. So it's right. a little bit falls more into the value camp. 
which is right. obviously, you know, stocks where, you know, the market has gravitated to over the last month and a half, even right. sitting up near the highs. Chart right. doesn't look bad. I love buying stocks near the highs because high, new highs beget new, newer highs. So if this thing can break out over that 142, right. I think you're, you're giving us some good ideas here this morning, Tim. Could, could be. And I'll give you another. You know, since Disney has been in the in the news, not clearly not an EV play, but I wanted to show you how this this destructive bet for Archegos played out. So on my screen, if you've never seen these weird charts before, folks, this is short volume. Short volume is the percentage of trading volume coming from borrowed stock. It is the supply chain in the market. Uh, but when it jumps above trend, here's what happened to Disney. Short volume shot up to 50% right at options expirations. That will always tell you that the counterparties for the bets have bet short. They knew that this bet was blowing up. They knew a week before it hit the news because they're looking at their books. They're probably talking to these folks and saying, look, if you don't shore up your capital, we're selling your positions. And there it was. But look at it now. It has completely reversed. All those bets are out. Short volume is below trend. Sentiment in Disney is ticking up. That is a nice trade, believe it or not. It's, you know, this isn't probably the, the pre-market prep's favorite kind of stock, but that looks pretty good. That's, you know, if you, if you think in terms of market structure, that looks appealing. And you know the risk has come out. If you're thinking the full reopening, I mean, where's everybody bringing their kids? They're going to Disney right. World. If we get this thing vaccinated, we get past COVID. The wild card is this Brazil, uh, this Brazil variation yeah. here. Obviously, we've got problems with it over in British Columbia and Canada. Vancouver Canucks, a couple of them have, and the whole team's sick. I mean, that's a little bit of the scary part of it. But if right. you're full on that we're going to get past COVID and we're going to reopening, right. Disney is a place to be. Right. Right. Now, I, you know, it's, it, that, that opens the door to a, a very brief, because we'll put everybody to sleep if we start talking uh, monetary policy and, and economics. It continues to be <laughs> oh, I may, I may just narcoleptically drop off <laughs> at, at talking about this. Uh, but the, uh, the, the, something I always like to point out, I, you know, I realize I am not in the uh, majority camp that says all we have to do is throw money at things and everything will be awesome. Uh, you know, history, thousands of years of history, all the way back to ancient Egypt, teach us that rising debt and rising prices are the enemies of prosperity, not its authors. And yet we're being told that somehow that's going, the, the, the presence of massive amounts of debt and rising prices are rising. It's crazy, right? So driving all over the country from Denver out to Nashville and then Nashville down to, to here to Austin, uh, you know, gas prices are up just this year, 87% across the country. Well, that won't hit me, but it will hit the construction workers with the giant trucks who get 12 miles to the gallon. It's hitting them. That's a big increase in cost. And I don't believe that those things uh, are going to long-term solve our problems. I think you have to have efficient production and strong purchasing power. Those things produce strong economic outcomes. Now, for us traders, the good news is we don't have to depend on that. Uh, the market, in a way, functions on its own in terms of supply and demand and the flow of money, and you can take advantage of that. But you have to be aware, I think, uh, that we are on the same path that Japan went on in the late 18, 1980s and that ended up stalling that market. And at some point, we're going to run into that buzzsaw. We'll see it coming, you know, and we can trade our way around it. But I think it's important to, 
to contemplate that fact. Tim, you mentioned Palantir quickly. I bring them up only because the stock is up a buck this morning, and they did in yeah. some like really small contract that is probably not even that notable. But as I said, the stock is up a buck, so here we are. Um, give us an update on Palantir. Yeah, let's have a, let's have a look at it. I, and look, it's taken longer than I expected. You know, Dennis, you and I talked about this, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, I I I own Palantir. Uh, because it's one and it's a bottom, then it's 37% short. It's not my favorite from the standpoint. It's not a very liquid stock. At only Why this matters, folks? Why do I track dollars per trade? Dollars per trade is the amount of stock you can buy before the price changes. And if you're running billions of dollars, big institutional investors, their algorithms have to get into that vein. They have to know that if I buy more than this amount, my price is going to move. And they're very concerned about transaction cost analysis. How how much price movement can I handle before it destroys my returns? And you add in commissions, the tax consequences. You have to think that way. So if you're buying this, buy less than that at a time. Uh, it's t- you know what's very interesting to me about Palantir, and I'm going to back this up, is the uh, how difficult it has been for this stock to recover. And I think it relates directly back to that. At $4,300 a trade, it is outside the top 1,000 most liquid stocks in the market. And the, and the Russell 1,000, they're, two, they're a little bit different because one is measuring liquidity, one is measuring market cap. But 95% of market cap is in the 1,000 largest stocks. That's where the money goes. That's the stuff in the ETF baskets. It's the stuff that the indexes will sample. Everybody does that. Well, Palantir's been just outside of that. Uh, and so it's had a harder time. But once again, here, short volume well below 40%, just about at trend. Sentiment, I, you want to, I got in a little early, but you buy the uptick and you're probably going to make money on this. At some point, money is coming back to this. And I think between now and options expirations is a very good, the very good time and a very good probability because people can make money in the options as well if that stock starts to rise. It's a widely owned stock by the the retail crowd, and right. you know, obviously, if we get back into this growth market, it's probably one that's going to rebound quickly. So, yep. um, it's just a matter of there's a lot over its supplies, a lot of traders who are stuck in this thing and they're down money in it. And you know, I think if it get up over twenty five, that's where it starts to get interesting. But below twenty five, yep. I think bears are still in control here. Yep. And and when and if you do traders look here's where things were awesome right above five that line above five awesome when it begins to tick down even though you might miss a little of this it's your you want to be out before you give back your gains right that doesn't do you any good to buy a stock that goes way up if you miss out on when you should leave you just got to be happy with that if sentiment tells you oh we're starting to equalize we'll get out. It'll be a little ahead of the change, but look what it will save you from. And then what, you can come, that, then come back when it's above five. Yeah, what's your average hold time? You know, obviously you're always tracking right. sentiment. And, yep. you know, this can change quickly. Sometimes it takes a while to change, but it can change quickly as well. When right. you're jumping in, you know, on a sentiment trade, yep. um, you know, we say sentiment really low. Do you know what the average hold time is on some of your trades here? Five days. Five days. So five there you days. go. So that's a pure swing trading environment. Five it days. Is. So yep. it's a nice spot too like we we talk long-term investing a lot we talk short-term right. trading i mean the five seven days that's a sweet spot because they're that's it's a tougher like i've always said with high frequency trading they're trading in milliseconds right. and if you're trying to trade you know in seconds or milliseconds and you're trying to scalp the spread 
you're not going to beat Citadel and Virtue in that game. But in this exactly. five-day, seven-day, they're not. That's not Virtues and Citadel's bread and right. butter. Five. They don't want to hold something out. They're, no, they're, they're not, not. You know, that's not their bread and butter. So you're not going directly against the big high-frequency trading firms in that time frame. So it's kind of the sweet spot, and that's why we have a lot of very successful swing traders in our chat because the competition from the professionals is not as high. You know, I'm not really in that five, seven-day time horizon either. I'm more in the minutes to hours, you know, looking yeah. at micro inefficiencies, not in the milliseconds, because I don't want to compete with Citadel yep. Virtue, um, you know, and I'm not Warren Buffett long-term investing, but I think you're in a sweet spot there, Tim, at five to seven days. I love that time frame. Well, and it shows up in the patterns. We didn't, uh, I didn't arrive there accidentally. Uh, it, when we were examining this data a decade ago, right after the cha the Reagan MS changes, right that changed everything. And look, I, I prefer a long-term market. I wish that we were about long-term capital formation from an economic standpoint or from the, a capital formation standpoint. Uh, but we don't have that. It's if if uh, ninety percent of the trading volume in the market comes from something other than rational thought, then your pursuit of long-term buy and hold returns is going to be diminished by the odds. You have a one in 10 chance maybe of that working. And that's why we do this. And when we looked at the patterns of change over time, you, we could see institutional money come and go. And the most recurrent pattern is a five-day pattern. That's how long it takes money of size to move. They don't have any choice. All right, so that's something we can surf as retail traders. Tim Quast joins us every Monday. He's the founder and CEO of Modern IR and Market Structure Edge. I put the link up on the screen before. It is back up on the screen now. MarketStructureEdge.com to see that platform and to see market structure sentiment. Tim, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you next week. Good to see you guys. From a different state. All right. Thanks, All right. Tim. All right. Uh, I just saw here. Sorry, Joel. I didn't mean to interrupt. It's okay. Go. I just saw that. Uh, Grayscale is out with the blog post. They said, just to be clear, they are going to convert GBTC into an ETF whenever that gets approved. So whenever we get ETF approval for a uh, Bitcoin ETF approval in the US, GBTC will become an ETF. I don't know if that changes anything for you, Dennis. Yeah, it does because, um, you know, we saw this happen in Canada where you had the QBTC, I believe it was. Um, you know, and I had, I think that's what the symbol was. And it was just a closed end fund that was holding Bitcoin. And there is in the prospectus that opportunity for them to do it as well. But what we saw was when the Bitcoin ETF came out in Canada, QBTC immediately traded to a discount on their holdings of Bitcoin because it's a closed end fund that isn't going to track it as well. So all, obviously all, an ETF is going to be superior because you have the market maker action that can do the creation redemption that, you know, Tim has, has talked about a lot of times um, on this show um, to keep the prices in line. A closed end fund doesn't have that mechanism, so it's not going to track it as well. So GBTC, if it just stayed as, as a closed end fund, just holding Bitcoin would be an inferior product to an ETF. So being able to convert to an ETF means that that GBTC may not trade to a discount on the news of an ETF approval in the States. So it's good news if they actually have that intention to just convert it over into an ETF. 
And Joel, what are you going to say before? I... No, I just uh, we just moseyed back up to that high that we made uh, Friday morning, four zero three eight. We just matched that. We're trading at the highs of the pre market session. So I just uh, I had talked about that forty thirty eight number, and we're right back there, right back at the high. Up, uh, add another uh, seventeen and a half on that. So we're up, we're up twenty seven and a half handles here, going into the uh, the opening bell. GME is rebounding a little bit from those lows. So it they is. are looking and saying, hey, 5% dilution. We're down there. They listen to you, Triple D. Well, the herbs, the herbs might be coming in here and just saying, that's a little bit overdone. Little bit, from, yeah. if, but again, it's GameStop. So where, where you grab the fundamental value from? <laughs> so on any given day, you know, this, the thing's going to move around too. But the herbs will look at that and say, wow, only 5% dilution here. Why are we knocking down 13? We'll buy a little bit. So I think you have a little bit of, of arbitrage uh, moving that price up a bit. Let's do some questions from our chat. Do some ticker time. Drop those tickers in, and we will take a look. I saw someone just dropped in Google. I don't know if we actually looked at Google uh, or have looked at Google for, for a couple of days here. But it, it is the only of the, the FANG stocks that's actually doing something. It's it's breaking out to new highs. Yeah, and, and this stock, this is, uh, if, if I take out the SPY, and in my long-term portfolio, and take out the Q's holdings and the SPY holdings, which are the biggest holdings in my portfolio. Yep. Google's right near the top. Yep. Um, and this is a stock that has just been an unbelievable performer for a long time. It's growth at a reasonable price. Um, and you look at the performance over the last 10 years, it's been fantastic. So I don't see any reason to get bearish Google when the stock's trying to break out to all-time yeah. highs. Yeah. I like it. I it still had, like it. Uh, this acted different than some of the other fangs after the earnings. It had the gap and the gap would go and it held and it just refused to go under 2000. Had that trading range between 2000 and 2100. And now you did, I think you made a new all time high on Friday. Let's see what this all time high is. So our 2152.68. We are trading above that right now. Uh, yeah, we did hit that on on Friday. So keep an eye on 2152.68. And then I don't know where your old-time closing high price is, but it looks like you're sure to improve on that today. Nice uh, nice consolidation after the earnings, and now a breakout. Uh, let me try. I'm trying to find some stocks that look different, chart to look different. UWMC, that, that one's not one we've talked about for – for a couple of weeks on this show, maybe. Uh, I'm long it. So I actually did buy it down here. It had the big move. I've played this a couple of times. I had this and I, I got out on the spike and sold around, averaged out around 10.50 on the spike back in early March. I thought this could potentially be, you know, a catch up trade with RKT and it was. So that worked out well. It's come all the way back down to where it was. It's got a decent dividend. Um, I kind of like it. Um, I don't know what it is. It's it's in it's in the swing trading portfolio right now, but I'm I'm not against putting in the long term holdings either. Five point one percent dividend. The CEO was on Kramer a couple of weeks ago. It's the first time I've really you know the, I've seen the CEO talk about the company. I kind of liked what he was saying too, so I don't mind it down here. You're at support. I mean, it's an ugly chart. It's going to clear downtrend. So you know it's it's kind of counter to what a momentum trade would be. But we know I'm a little bit of a contrarian investor at heart. I kind of like it. It's, it's I've just... had it for about a week. Yeah, with 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 this stock and also Rocket, you know, it's just 
man, interest rates are this. I mean, this is like probably the best possible environment. You know, you had a pandemic. People are looking for houses. Interest rates are low. Yeah. It just, you know, it's just why are these things just ripping? You know what I mean? I don't know. That's a, it's a good point. You know, yeah. this is environment for them and they really can't get off the mat. UWMC or RKT cut from the same cloth. They're going to move together to a certain extent. Both Michigan companies. I mean, both both local and, you know, I mean, you get Michigan the love. We're blue. So I I don't know. We'll see. I mean, if uh, you get any kind of uptake in interest rates, which everyone is predicting, except for Jerome Powell. um, I don't know. I just. Yeah, you're not in love. Yeah, I'm not in love. That's why we have a market. A couple of people mentioned Corvo, QRVO, breaking out new highs. Apple play here too um when stocks are making new all-time highs that that's you know that's the what you want to be in you know the stocks that are leading us out it's it's not a last time i looked at core it's been a while so look at the fundamentals of it but it, it's not ridiculously priced either and you can throw all those other stocks in the same category skyward solutions swks it's up four yeah. bucks this morning um um cirrus you know could go into cirrus uh, logic crus there's a there's a bunch of them never that, never you know. be sh- never be short the tequila maker never be short of course joel, joel, joel. <laughs> there you go oh i never really thought of Corvo as laugh, a tequila maker but they <laughs> do make some pretty good apple components so it shouldn't have made me laugh but it did <laughs> <laughs> all right we better move on all right hey safe on. they all want pay safe Oh, Obviously, this is the BFT convert. It's only had two days of data since it's converted over P- to PS, PSFE. Yeah, we're looking at PSFE. Um, hmm. I, some props. We got to give some props out to who was on last week. Yeah, that was saying, oh, it was Sean. And when Sean Udall was on, he was saying, well, if they give this, you know, the little bear raid that they do when they convert over, the thing could get whacked down. And it was trading at around 15 that, and then went down to 13 and a half. So Sean absolutely correct on that. They did knock it down. It did not make a new low on Thursday, and that's good news. Thirteen eighty. So um, it, it's trying to find some support here. It's been, you know, a, a stock that's obviously was a spac, and spacs have been out of favor. But you've got some support down here in the thirteen area. So if you want to take a shot, you maybe maybe you lean on maybe you lean on the low from two days ago, thirteen fifty. Yeah, there's really not two levels like in that, you know, in the same, this chart just seems like do whatever it wants on like every single day. I guess you had three tops here, uh, but basically what you got, did you get to almost 20 on this one? Uh, 1957, the low was around, you know, under 10. I don't know. Just looking at this and looking at all the, the mesh and the mosh here, I think you get above 15 and you hold 15. I think you got a little better trade going on because you've had your highs come down substantially over the last two sessions. So I don't know. I'm just going to ballpark it. I'd say get some sustained closes over 15. Looks good. All right. We got uh, over 2,000 viewers and just about 300 likes. Not good enough, everyone. Smash that like button, please, on YouTube. Joel, um, like us for your first time like ever. Us, He's like never us. liked the show before. We will, we will all like think. the you show. You can't do it if you're like a co-host. I do it. I, I do it. I start doing it every day. So one of those is really not real because it was me and it's our own. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> let's bring on our next guest here. Talk IPOs or recap last week. Preview the IPO slate this week. Matt Hammond from IPO Warrior Warriors joining us now on pre-market prep. Matt, good morning. 
Good morning, guys. Uh, talk morning. to you again. Good afternoon, wherever. I know you're you're way ahead of us. Uh, yeah, I'm in uh, Kiev, Ukraine. So right. So right. Uh, it was a slow week last week, right? On, on the on the IPO front, short week. Not a lot of action, from what I saw. There were actually quite a few RPOs, uh, some of them worth okay. noting. Okay. But uh, this week coming up, we're pretty slow. Okay. Uh, we can jump right into it. But yeah. I think what we saw last week is a good indication of the kind of trends and opportunities that we do have in these IPO plays. Um, just jump right in. Let me share my slides here. All I right. mean, I saw a couple, but I didn't. I guess I didn't, I didn't see too many. Here we go. All right, let's see. Okay, so we had uh, a couple win opportunities, actually. Coursera and Carew both offered pretty big jumps. And some of the non-winners were Achilles Therapeutics, uh, Compass is a real estate software platform, and SmartShare, which was kind of a off-the-radar uh, Chinese IPO. And so... One of the things that has always kind of come back to me is that a strong brand drives retail demand. And that means that with an IPO, you've got the institutional investors buying in before the general public traders like you and me, unless you have a lot of money, you know, millions of dollars and are one of the favored investors, you run a hedge fund, or you run an institution, yep. you're not going to get the IPO shares. There's very rare opportunities. Airbnb gave their hosts an opportunity to buy. Uh, Robinhood is saying they're going to let traders buy some of the IPO stock. But for the most part, retail investors are on the sidelines waiting for the stock to debut and trying to get in right at the beginning. Uh, and if there's retail demand, then you'll see the stock go up. We certainly saw that with Bumble. We saw that with Roblox. We saw that with Airbnb. All of these IPOs debuted and they went up from the open. That means after the institutions bought the IPO, then it go debuts usually at a pretty high premium. And for there to be an upward swing from there, there needs to be retail demand. And one of the key indicators that we're going to have that retail demand is, is it a strong public brand? Have you heard of the company before? Like I'd never heard of Achilles Therapeutics. Uh, I'd never heard of SmartShare either. And Compass, I only know it because a classmate of mine is the CEO. But where Coursera, a lot of people have taken courses on Coursera. And we saw a bump off of the debut because of that. Carew, not as well known, but there is a reason looking back at it as to why we might have had an idea that it was going to run. And I'll take a look at that in a second. So with Coursera, it opened up at 39.70. It dipped a little bit, which might have been just because the market's been a little bit, uh, its stomach has been a little unsettled for the last week or two. So putting in a stop loss to protect the downside would have robbed you of the opportunity to take a win. Sometimes you just have to trust the brand and say, okay, uh, this is going to come back either on the second day or by the end of the day. I remember Unity, for example, dipped pretty hard out of the gate and then the next day came all the way back up and then ran from there. And there's some other examples of that as well. Coursera actually kind of went on a huge run. Once it came back to VWAP, it just blew up to... Uh, about 45 by the end of the day. And when you see that run going into the end of the first day, there's a pretty good chance that the headlines overnight are going to bring attention to this stock and pump it up the next day. We see a second day run on a lot of these. I remember Lemonade, Big Commerce, uh, NCNO, a lot of these had big second day runs. And it just makes sense. People have heard of the company, but they are not really paying attention to the IPOs. 
they read the news the next day. Oh, uh, Coursera jumps in IPO. They go, oh, I better buy that. I know Coursera, they're really good. And then you see this second day just run all the way up to 56. So if you played it perfectly, which is nearly impossible, you had an opportunity to take up to 40% win on that. Um, but a more realistic you know, approach would have been to say, put a stop loss here at about 48 or put a stop loss here up at 54 and then you get stopped out on the, on the retracement. So it's currently at 45.78, which means except for this first kind of 30 or 40 minutes here, you had almost no heat, which is a pretty easy play if you can get through that first uh, first little leg there. And again, we had brand recognition. And another key was that it was a reasonable debut price. This wasn't like Bumble where we had a something like an 80% premium or Snowflake, which I mean, the IPO price was over 100% or the debut price was over 100% what the IPO price was. And still, Snowflake did offer a an initial spike, again, because the retail was hype was there. And that drove retail buyers to buy it, and it went right into a halt uh, and, and skied from there, and then it pulled back. But when you have the retail demand, and, and this is leading up to something we're going to cover at the end of this presentation for something very exciting that's coming up, hint, hint, and that brand recognition, that really is key. But that's not the only thing that that provides an opportunity with these IPO trades. Um, sometimes you have to look behind the scenes to see why something might rise from its debut price. Uh, Karoo, which most of us never really heard of, uh, I certainly didn't know about it until I was researching the IPO. It had been, it, it's an uplisting. This is a car fleet management program that was pretty big, I guess, in Europe and in South Africa is actually where it's based. So this was an uplisting from the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And the this IPO was 4 million shares, which is a really low float. And the IPO had been priced at 47.52, which is a very specific price. Uh, and they give this on direct listings. I tend to stay away from direct listings because they're very hard to understand compared to an IPO. And in this case, it was priced at 47.52 and opened at 29, which kind of, you know, if you were paying attention to that, that $29 was announced about an hour before it debuted, you would have said, oh, well, that's a pretty big gap. There's a lot of room to fill there. Uh, maybe I'll take a play on this. And if you had gotten in at the open at 29, uh, held through the first few minutes, you had no heat. It just went straight up. So if you put said, okay, well, my stop loss here or a stop loss here. I mean, you had so many opportunities, even if you missed the peak, you could have held it to an exit with a pretty nice win. So I like Karoo. I didn't play this one. I have just wasn't paying attention to it. I kind of shy away from uplistings, but maybe something to pay attention in, in for future uplistings. Some of the non-losses, just because I do like to go back and kind of mentally play or, or recap what I was looking at when I decided not to play this, for example, Compass opened at 21.25. It did give you an opportunity to set a stop loss and maybe take a non-loss or a small win. But Compass had, had reduced the size of their IPO offering the day before, which kind of indicates that they didn't feel that there was the level of demand to sell 35 million shares. They brought it back to 25 million shares. And that's sort of a red flag to me to say, eh, maybe there's not as much demand as they thought there was. Without that strong retail demand, it's probably not going to run. Maybe I just you know, hold off on this one. It's better to miss some opportunities than to take losses. Losses will kill you. Uh, wins, you know, you can, you're going to miss some. You're going to make some. 
the key objective over the long term is to string together a bunch of wins, keep growing that uh, pile of money that you have. And, you know, you're not going to go broke taking profits, even if they're not the biggest ones. You can go broke losing money. So Achilles Therapeutics, I usually stay away from biotech because I feel like the general public sector doesn't understand biotech, me included. I read them all and they all sound kind of the same, especially these are cancer fighting uh, compounds. They're usually pre, um, you know, they're in clinical trials or they're preclinical. I can't make sense one way or another of them. The week before there were three biotechs that did do pretty well. And so I was interested in at least tracking this one. And I told myself, okay, okay if we get a big dip, uh, way below VWAP, way below RSI 30, maybe I'll take a little position and try to swing it. But I just didn't get that here. You know, you see RSI didn't really, took a little dip below 30. I just didn't see any real entry points until the end of the day. And by then we had pretty scarce momentum. I mean, not much volume here. So, you know, you just got to take a pass on this. And I'm glad I did. It's... I think now trading at like 16. So opened at 18 and just didn't give you any opportunities to play anything really. Uh, the next thing I want to touch on a little bit is these Chinese IPOs. These have been really wild and they're kind of unknowns. It's almost purely gambling. This one I did play and I'm taking a little bit of heat, but I didn't take a big position. I just kind of like to be into it. And this does those little charging stations you see at restaurants and I've seen these before. I lived in China for a few years and I remember seeing these and I just think they're piggy banks. They're little piggy banks. They've got millions of throughout China. Maybe not a great pandemic play, but I'm going to, with these Chinese IPOs, it really has almost less to do with the fundamental business and really just looking at what some of the Chinese IPOs have done. And this one, it, it dropped pretty fast to nine and you just kind of stuck. There's no chance to really get out at a win. You could have waited, but again, it's not that the company itself seems interesting. I just want to show you what some of the Chinese IPOs have done. Um, one of the first ones to really get everyone's attention was this WNW, which back in December, and, and they do Chinese traditional medicine. Uh, oh no, they do organic food products in supermarkets. Again, I don't think that's so much important, but for some reason, after the first day opening at 798, it jumped up to like 30 to 40, then it jumped up to 70, 80, and then ran up to 160. And there's really almost no rhyme or reason other than it just caught the, you know, the momentum play and just went on an insane ride. And now it trades at $10 a share. So there's no, no valuation. It's completely detached, but it's not the only one that's done this. After this, I think people started saying, hmm, interesting. If the Chinese or whoever's pumping these things is going to drive these up to insane valuations, why not get in and see what happens? And I was able to play a few following that for some really good profits. RLX, it's the largest e-cigarette company in China. This one opened up at 22.34, ran up to about 28 by the end of the first day. The next day pre-market hit up to 37.30 and I was able to get out at about 33, I believe, uh, at the open of the next day. So in at 22.34, out at 34. It's a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice profit for a you know one day swing trade. Uh, another one, TIRX. This one was absolutely nuts. It opened up at 16.45. I got it right on the debut. It traded right into a halt that halted for three hours, which is incredibly abnormal. 
And I just said, okay, I'm going to get out of this. And I set a limit order to sell out, I think at 19 and it ended up getting filled at 49.99. So, I mean, that was a huge win. Yeah. You're sitting around all day waiting for it to open and you really don't know what's going to happen out of the halt, but the stock has since gone up to 91. And this is since January 27th. It's some kind of insurance broker for the Chinese market. And the valuations on these Chinese companies, it's like nobody knows what they do. So they just kind of go crazy. And we had another one, RAS, which is some kind of cloud communications uh, software company in China. They opened at 27.57. This was last, uh, just last February. And it ran all the way up to 59. You know, now it's at 12.90. So um, these things are kind of insane. You don't really understand where they're going to go. But these Chinese IPOs, some of them have just gone absolutely nuts. And the downside on being in something like EM, which I'm down like a dollar uh, compared to the upside of some of these, which have gone up 100% or 80% or more, uh, it, it's an interesting play. And if you're willing to take a little bit of a gamble with it, you know, keep an eye on these, play them if you feel, you know, don't play them with money you need, but they can turn into uh, nice little wins here. So another one last week, UPC. Uh, opened at 5:30, kind of sunk for four days, and now you know then it went up to almost 20, 26 dollars on the fourth day, and just last Friday was trading into halts all day up at the you know eight seven eight dollar range. And maybe keep an eye on it this week. It's got it's got the attention, and uh, these things have low floats and they kind of run crazy. So that's kind of recapping some ideas for where you might look for. We talked about playing momentum based off uh, brand recognition to drive retail demand. We talked about the Chinese IPOs. This week is a pretty blank slate. There were some IPOs from last week that were withdrawn, including Intermediate Cloud Communications, Cultura, Flora, and Inspira. They usually don't give us too much information on when or what, you know, when these are rescheduled to or why they were pulled, Intermediate Cloud Communications, they did announce that they were a little bit, uh, they felt that the market was a little bit weak right now, and they wanted to kind of regroup and debut at a time when they felt the market had more strength. And some of these others, they're just smaller IPOs. They get pulled, maybe they have some questions to answer to the SEC, maybe they felt like the timing wasn't great. Uh, and, you know, some of these have, that, that I've been watching, like Flora is a marijuana play, not a lot of information about them, but it is an interesting space to be in and it does get the attention of retail buyers. So the, the, the weed stocks, almost anything, weed growers, weed growing equipment, a lot of this stuff is done pretty well. Some of the IPOs have been rescheduled and then come out almost unannounced. You just kind of check them each day on, on Webull or on E-Trade and see if you see an indication price. You feel like playing them, play them. But again, you're taking a little bit of a risk just because without the you know, without a really well-planned and promoted IPO, it's hard to see retail demand being very strong right out the right out the gate. And that brings us to our last uh, point of the day, which is, I think, going to be one of the bigger themes in the world of the stock market and IPOs and crypto and NFTs, I guess, for the until it debuts. And that's Coinbase. This one has everything you're looking for for a scalp or swing trade on an IPO. This one is a direct listing, which I like even better. I'll tell you that why in a second. If you don't know what Coinbase is, Coinbase is probably the easiest way to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. 
if you're just a normal person, a normal retail investor, it's incredibly easy to set up a Coinbase account, buy Bitcoin, sell your Bitcoin. It basically provides liquidity and a wallet for a wide range of crypto assets. Uh, they are very profitable. They make tons of money and the IPO price is going to be pretty high. I think they're saying it's a hundred billion dollar valuation uh, at, at the indicated price. In the private markets, it's been selling for, I guess, 375. So the IPO or the indication price for the direct listing is likely to be between 350 and 400. But on the day of the actual debut, I wouldn't be surprised if this opens in the 400s or even higher just because there's so much demand. And it, that's a, this, this has an extremely high for an IPO price. Extremely, it, it's extremely high. It is a direct listing, though. And I, let's circle back to that for a second. So I mentioned before that one of the things that drives IPO plays for the public retail investor is the brand recognition because institutions have already bought in at a cheaper price and then it's going to debut at a higher price. So retail investment really has to drive the price up. With the direct listing, the institutions have not bought in yet. So it doesn't only rely on retail investors. It, the institutions are kind of at the same playing field as everybody else. And we saw this with Roblox and we saw this with Palantir, where that means that the IPO or the debut price really does establish a sort of uh, floor, which is another reason why I like playing these so much that the downside to me anyway, seems far more limited with a direct listing than with an IPO that debuts with a huge premium. Got it. Got it. Um, there was a couple questions from our chat. Sure. Matt, uh, and one, I don't actually know the answer to, so I, I want to pose it to you. Do you know approximately or about how many or what percentage of S1s actually go on to go to market and become IPOs? I have no idea what the actual percentage of them is. I think like, like most of them, would you say? Oh, yeah. I would say yeah. that it's very rare that they don't eventually become yeah. uh, go to market. I, I remember Palantir was one of the stocks that I had been tracking for about for over a year before it debuted. And I was super so, uh, stoked when it went announced that it was a direct listing. But they had to refile their S1 three or four times. Uh, Roblox had to refile their S1 at least one time yeah. uh, because of a discrepancy between how they were charging for the in-game uh, purchases and, and the sale of Roblox. So especially for companies where people don't quite understand the business model, and I would say Palantir certainly, you know, there was so much confusion about what they were and how they were going to be priced and what, you know, that... We see that happen more often when when it's this pretty straightforward company, and um, there's usually going to be less um, confusion about the S1, less items to sort out with the SEC. And uh, but I would say that it's pretty rare that I've seen. I, I, so I can say it's probably only happened once, and I can't even remember exactly which one it was, where there was a company that I was very excited to kind of play the IPO on. The S1 was filed, the date was announced, and it just never. You know, never came around to was going it, going public. Was it WeWork by chance? No, no, no. I remember WeWork, but that's a good example. <laughs> WeWork was example the, the disaster that you kind of yeah. knew they were going to eventually go through a SPAC because uh, everything else about it was sort of such a dumpster fire. And then another one from the chat here. Do you have any thoughts on I? Was it I I N N? Is that this week? So yeah, that was supposed to be last week, and again, it was kind of pulled or rescheduled and. 
Let me just take a quick look and see if Webull has. Sorry, I'm gonna look down for a second because it is on my uh, on my radar. IINN is worth talking about for a couple of reasons. No, it's suspended with no date at this point. So INNN does. It's a medical device that infuses. It takes blood out of the patient and then infuses it with oxygen and then delivers the blood back to the patient, which sounds pretty cool. Uh, I can see that being having a lot of health implications. The red flag to me is that it listed on Click IPO, which not to not Click IPO, but very few of the IPOs that have been listed there have run straight out the gate, partly because, hey, if you and I, if retail investors can buy the IPO, that means a lot of people who don't have any lockup obligations are likely just looking for a very quick play. You know, they're getting in and if the stock does debut at a premium, the chances a lot of people are going to race to sell it. And we've seen that with a lot of the click IPO uh, debuts is that they've sunk right away. And it's almost worth just sitting to see if it does take a big dip, then you can buy in and ride a, you know, ride a profit train from there. But one more thing about it, it has a super low float. It's like 3 million shares or less or something. So when you see that low float, you see the potential for the price to go way up. And we just saw a, people are comparing it to NNOX, which if you saw over the weekend, got FDA approval for um, its x-ray machine. And it's up like 60% pre-market today. And that is one that I both played the IPO and then took a pretty long position in it as well. So some of these medical device you know, I can't say that I, I don't put it in the same boat as biotech because I think it's more accessible to people. People understand, oh, cheaper x-rays, great. That'll be huge. Um, a good way to put oxygen in the blood. That sounds reasonable. Uh, so I, I, I definitely will be keeping an eye on it, maybe take a short opening play. Um, but the fact that it's a click IPO makes me want to say, okay, well, maybe buy half on the debut and then half if it dumps, so you're you know DCAing down into a position below the debut price, so you can get out if um, if it does dump. Um, but worth keeping an eye on for sure. All right, Matt Hammond has been joining us here, aka the IPO Warrior. You can find out more from uh, more of his research, more of his thoughts by going to IPOWarriors.com. Matt, always a pleasure. Thanks again. One, one, one more thing, guys. I want to. I put together a little guide because people ask me, how do I buy on the debut? You know, do I just wait for it to go live and then buy at a market order? Uh, no, you buy with a limit, but I'm going to get, I'm going to put together a little guide and send it out to people. If you sign up for my newsletter on ipowarriors.com, I'm going to send out a PDF guide really explaining how to buy. And I'm going to focus it on the Coinbase debut um, how to get in the minute or really the second that it debuts. So you're getting in right as it opens, expecting it to run up, expecting to get it at the lowest price of the day. Uh, and how to trade it for a swing trade. So if you can sign up for the newsletter, I'll send out that guide. And uh, thanks for having me, Spencer. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. It is yep. 8.926. Excuse me. Uh, that'll be a wrap for pre-market prep today. Please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes only, not for investing or Trading advice today's show is also sponsored by Market Structure Edge, the first decision decision support platform for traders built on Market Structure. To learn more, go to marketstructureedge.com. The link is up on the screen there. Once again, please smash that like button for all our guests, for Matt, for Tim, for Joel, for Dennis, please. And thank you.